Greetings and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 40 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santamire, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have our friend Dick Foth with us back on a session of Back Channel with Foth, and that's where listeners send in questions. And we sit down, I get to sit down with Dick and, and learn from him as he answers um, the listeners sending questions. Today, after we sit down and, and spend some time with Dick, we're going to jump into our um, interview with Tanya Crossman and um, her book on TCKs, and the title of that book is Misunderstood. Dick, so excited to be with you again here today on the podcast. Thank you. I know sometimes this is teed up as both the answer man, but when I get off these things, oftentimes I have more questions than the questions I was asked because they figured things in my mind, so it's great uh, fun to be it is. It's awesome to be. It's awesome to be with you again today, Dick. Um, these two questions uh, center around being a, a TCK or an MK. How has has being an MK or TCK shaped your worldview? You know, I, I saw this question. I was thinking, you know, I came home from India um, in the summer of nineteen forty nine. That means that it's 72 years ago yeah. that I came home. And it wasn't, it wasn't on a sailing ship. I just want that to be clear. <laughs> but, it, but it was on a 5,000-ton Danish freighter called the Johannes Maersk. And it was almost five weeks on the open sea between wow. what was then Colombo, Ceylon, now Sri Lanka, and Boston. Wow. And there were seven passengers on this ship. And we played Monopoly every day. And I won one time. And I hate Monopoly. No, I just, I'm just saying. <laughs> but, but I tell, recently I did an article for a men's publication, and this very thought came into my mind. How has being an MK shaped my worldview? Two things. One is that it, it gave me a sense that life was an adventure. Hmm. And you need to understand that I, I, we were one of the first ships out of New York Harbor after World War II ended, so September of 45. Yeah. We ended up going to Piraeus near Athens. There are sunken ships in the harbor. Naples, same deal, and all that. And I'm a, I'm a little person, three and a half, but I still have images of that in my head. Yeah. But um, but but being in a British boarding school, all that sort of thing. So so life as an adventure has become one of the tracks that that my whole um, journey centers around. I hmm. in. And so that's, I see that as a plus. Yeah. Secondly, we lived, or I went to school at least, in a primarily British, um, white Christian bubble in the Nilgiri Hills of South India, surrounded by a Hindu culture, hmm. surrounded by a, a brown world that thought differently, sang th songs that were different, that had festivals that were different. And what being an MK helped me understand was that uh, different uh, does not have to be a threat. Hmm. That in fact, that if I, if I see different as something to be engaged or something to um, be explored in this, and I'm not talking about religious systems in and of itself here, I'm just talking right. different. Right. That, that those two things, life is an adventure and, and folks who are different than I don't have to be a threat that takes care of a chunk of how we live our lives. Yeah. So those two things really landed for me. Wow, wow. Second question is, what do you remember about the transition um, from, uh, from overseas back to the US? 
again, I was seven and a half when I came home, but but things had changed um, a fair amount, even in those post-war years. Um, we came home, my dad stayed in India a year, so my mom brought my sister and me home on that freighter. Hmm. And so my, my sister was three and a half years older than I, so she's, she's 11, I'm seven and a half. And um, the, the transition for us in, in that moment in time was a positive in that we had been quite sick. My mother had had some real challenges. My sister had rheumatic fever. I had had malaria and rickets and all kinds of stuff. So we were going back to Coca-Cola and ice cream. We, <laughs> we were going back to, to uh, a very different world yeah. because, uh, because the, the tensions were very high in India at that time. Yeah. We were there when partition occurred, all of that sort of thing. So uh, I think today, if I could relate it to today, if I may, is that um, teens today don't come back, and I'll use teens as an example. Yeah. Teens today don't come back to as different a world as they left because of this thing called the Internet. Yeah. Is that, is that we stay, we can stay current on FaceTime or Skype or, or Zoom or whatever else, Google, right. uh, going along. So the, so the adjustments, if you will, may not be as much. But I think that the how I see the world um, is really um, an important piece for parents. Yeah. Because as parents have involved their children in the mission, which is this is important, this is life-giving, so forth, um, that frames the philosophy or the lens through which children coming back see what they're coming back to. Yeah. And, and I've had a chance to sit with MKs here in recent years. And what's, what's very interesting to me is that over the years I've seen that an MK, somebody like me or your kid, um, when they come back into their first culture, yeah. uh, they either really haven't liked where they were or they really have liked where they were. Yeah. There doesn't seem to be too much in the middle hmm. for whatever reasons. And I can't explain how that happens or what the answers are to that. But I think uh, as, a, as a parent in particular, just to understand this is true about ministry life as a whole. Uh, and I'm talking of pastors or youth, right. whatever it is, how we, how we engage our children uh, shapes some, not all, shapes some of how they see the whole enterprise. Mm. And so I think on the one hand, we have responsibility. On the other hand, as they, you know, these children we have are on loan, right? Yeah. And Ruth, my wife, has a favorite quote from Streams in the Desert, which was devotional written by Japanese missionaries to Japan years ago, the Cowans. And there was one she came across last year that started out, on occasion, we need to, re we need to remind God of his full responsibility. Wow. And she, wow. she, she latched onto that because we had some stuff we were going through with extended family. She said, yeah. there we go. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say this to the Lord and hope he doesn't hit me with lightning. So there we go. <laughs> Dick, really appreciate it. And uh, this, this great to hear um, 
yeah, the stories of, of your life overseas and um, the impact and, and the memories you have and how that has shaped your worldview and how it continues to impact, impact your life today. We're going to go ahead and jump in um, with the interview with Tanya Crossman, where we, we sit down and talk about misunderstood. She talks about um, how at times TCKs feel like they have to perform and um, the anxiety that comes with that. And as Dick has just highlighted the, the thing called the internet and uh, the differences in, in transitioning back and forth um, in today. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with someone who I just finished up reading her book, uh, Misunderstood, Tanya Crossman. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about yourself for those who haven't read your book yet? Sure. So I'm Australian, which you may have told from <laughs> listening to me already. Uh, I've been in Australia enough the last few years that my accents come back. Uh, I lived in Australia most of my childhood, but also in the US as a high school student for a few years. Mm-hmm. And when I was 21, I moved to China for a year and stayed for most of my adult life. Wow. Uh, that's also where I met my husband, who's a TCK himself. And okay. we lived in China until COVID came and disrupted everything. So right now I'm living with my parents in Australia and he's in our new house in the States waiting for me to get my green card. Oh man. Wow. You've had a, you've grown up and traveled to a lot of different places then. Yeah. Yeah. Add Cambodia in there as well. I've, I've done a fair bit of time there. I lived there for six months in the middle somewhere. Wow. And uh, yeah, man, it's so exciting to have you on the podcast today. So as I read through your book, um, there were a few questions that that jumped out. And uh, just if it's okay, we'll go ahead and jump into them. So one of the things okay. I thought was very valuable and um, interesting um, for me is, you know, my wife is a TCK. And um, you began to discuss the difference between TCKs in the 20th century and the 21st century. Could you just share a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Well, to start with, I want to clarify when I'm talking about 21st century TCKs, I'm talking about people who experienced childhood in the 21st century. So the oldest 21st century TCKs are the ones who maybe turned 16 (laughs) around 2000, (laughs) right? So they had a little bit of high school. Um, So yeah, anyone sort of 1985 and up, I would class as 21st century TCKs. Yeah. But I actually found they're kind of a little in-between group um, because there's a couple of things that happened. The first thing that changed was um, mass transit. So when we went from travelling on boats and and air travel being rare and expensive to it being quite, you know, mass transit being quite a common thing where TCKs were travelling to their passport country maybe once every two years um, as opposed to once a lifetime. (laughs) Very big difference in experience. For sure. Uh, yeah, so then, so that started to happen around the 70s, 80s. But then we had another big change happen in the 90s, which was the internet. Hmm. Um, we were already having a change in mass communication. We were having easier access to phone calls, depending where you were, faster mail, things like that. But once the internet hit and things became instantaneous, you could stay in touch with people in a completely different way. Schooling changed. Homeschooling became an option for families that in the past went to boarding school. The dynamics and the um, demographics of TCKs changed dramatically at that point. Sure. Um, and it made TCKs more in between because they're spending more time visiting family or friends in other places than they were before. They're spending more time out of their week in contact with people in another place. They're maintaining relationships in multiple places. So they're yeah, less immersed in their host country than they were in the past. 
Hmm. Hmm. So is, does that create more challenges or, I mean, I guess there's trade-offs, there's benefits and, t- but t- do you see, so, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is, so you see some benefits and some, maybe some drawbacks. Are there unique challenges in the 21st century with that? Definitely. Uh, it Pros and cons as with yeah. everything, right? Right. Um, the big one is the, the, there is no space between worlds, hmm. right? So you're living in two worlds at once or trying to, or three or four, yeah. because that instantaneous communication means I am on the phone. I'm on zoom with family in two or three countries or continents wow. all the time. I'm, hmm. I'm not always fully present in the place where I am. And there are so many great benefits to that. So the fact that we can have these relationships is so powerful and so wonderful, but the unique challenge is how does a child growing up with that, that life in between work out who they are and what is my culture and and what matters to me and where am I when I am living between places and people constantly where a significant percentage of my life is lived and connected and emotionally present in a place not where I am. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. Um, so I, that kind of segues into my next question for you. You talk about hidden anxiety. So, you know, I'm not a TCK. And so this living in, and I'm not, you know, I wouldn't, I'm older than the 1985 category, but as I, that sounds to me like <laughs> a, something that would produce anxiety in me, this living in th- these different worlds. And you talk about anxiety and hidden anxieties. Could you just unpack that for us? Absolutely. One of the things that I accidentally (laughs) became really close to a lot of the TCKs I first started working with in Beijing was because I was seeing through these faces, these masks that, that the TCKs around me were putting up, which was largely a happy face. They were really good at putting up the happy face that everything's fine. My Mm. whole life is fine. When they were feeling anxiety, when they were feeling depression, when they were feeling scared, when they were feeling nervous, everything was fine. Hmm. And there's a few different things that go into that, but they are so good at hiding it. They're so good at playing little adults. They're so good at being articulate in an intellectual capacity, but not so great with dealing with the emotional stuff that they just put on the happy face. And a lot of them, they feel that that's what's expected of them. Sometimes Hmm. they've had words spoken to them that make them believe that it is what is expected of them. Yeah. it can be very difficult, especially for missionary kids where they've been doing support raising and then they go on home assignments and they stand on a podium and or they stand behind a table and people look at their family. They see their picture up on people's fridges in different yeah. places. There's this sense that I'm on display. Yeah. And, you know, that, that does give you the sense that I have to keep this, you know, good mask on and make everyone think I'm doing fine. But the pressure on that that a lot of people don't recognise is that for a lot of TCKs, they are very much at home in their host country. That's the place that feels comfortable to them. And if their parent were to lose their occupation, whether they're a missionary or not, right. um, is if they were going to lose support and not have the finances and not have the visa, not have the job, they lose the country that they live in. Hmm. Hmm. So that, that puts a pressure on that. There's a pressure there that children can put on themselves that if I don't behave, if I don't do all the right things, then I'm going to lose the country that I love. Wow. Hmm. Wow. And even that's if that's deep. not a real threat, that's something that kids can get in their heads 
yeah. quite easily. Yeah. Cause they're always representing something. They, they whether it's the country um, or their race, their faith, yeah. their family, their God, simply yeah. by existing in the country where they live. Um, wow. They're always on show. Wow. And so for parents that that's probably just really resonated because it resonated with me. Um, what, what did wisdom and, and counsel do you have for parents on how they can then care for their kids in TCKs and with those in, hidden anxieties? Hmm. It's really important that kids have space to safely fail. <laughs> they have to, they have to fail and, and know that the world doesn't end. Hmm. Um, I, I once had, there was a girl I was sort of mentoring and she was doing a gap year, a uh, missionary kid, homeschooled kid, really great, solid family. And she was about 19. And I remember this conversation where I told her I couldn't wait to see her fail at something. She was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> because until you're so good at all the things that you do, until you fail at something, you won't know that all of the relationships around you won't change and all of this love and relationship and connection will still be there wow. after you mess up at something. Um, and she didn't really respond at the time, but four years later, she wrote a blog post where she referenced that com- conversation as the first time in her life that she realized that an adult in her life didn't expect her to be perfect. Wow. Wow. And I know the people in her life and I know that they didn't have those expectations for her. That was coming from inside. But unless we say these things directly, hmm. TCKs will assume they have to be perfect. Wow. So giving them spaces to fail so that we can then show them love and care in the failure is so important. And my favorite way to do that is having kids cook. Because <laughs> like, only the family sees. If it's really bad, we just throw it out and we eat something else. Um, and it's a great practical skill. So Yeah, for sure. Well, that's one thing in our, in our household during COVID. We, uh, our kids got to cook a little bit. And um, anyway, my <laughs> son, one of his first meals he wanted to make was lasagna. And he thought that would be an easy one. Well, living overseas, maybe in the U.S., making lasagna might be quick and easy. But overseas, it's quite a <laughs> lengthy process. So anyway. A few more that, steps involved. That's right. He skipped. He decided lasagna was not for him. So, But you're right. It's a, that's a great practical lesson on um, lessons learned. And it might not always taste the best and you can you can pitch it out the door so and yeah that, i'm sorry go ahead he still loves you yeah. and it's not the end of the world yeah. practicing failure is actually it sounds silly but practicing failure is really important hmm. so that when there's a big failure or a big stuff up you know you can go to mom and dad and they'll still love you yeah it's good and and the other thing for parents is it valuable for them to try to create some you talked about performing for donors and per- performing mm. for when they're at home. Is it valuable for parents to create some distance and to maybe verbalize that, that you, we don't want you to perform? I mean, or how would, how would a parent address that? It's going to depend from family to family and kid to kid and even organization to organization, because some organizations do have requirements and, and expectations for you. Yeah. Um, some families I know, have been able to maintain a home church that the family goes to and mum or dad or mum and dad go out to speak at different churches and the kids have been able to have a home base that they mostly attend. For sure. So that even though they have visited other places, there's one key place that's theirs where they don't have to perform and that makes a big difference. Uh, In other places, you know, maybe the kids are not required to come up on stage or be behind the booth. They can just go to the church. Yeah. and not be part of the presentation. It's going to look different for each person, but having those conversations with your kids, hmm. I think is just important and saying, look, this is what we do, yeah. um, but we'll take care of this. You don't, you don't have to be part of this. Um, 
Yeah. It's good. It's but, good. you know, you're always going to have families where you've got kids who love to be the centre of attention and want to come and do that stuff. <laughs> yeah. But making sure that each kid can opt in and opt out also because each kid's yeah. going to be different. Yeah. And, yeah. and as you shared, that, that love, our love is not is not dependent on them opting in or opting out. Yeah. You know, the love, the love is Yeah, constant. you don't get a bonus and, for going yeah, exactly. up and performing, right? <laughs> For sure, for sure. Um, one of the other things that, at least I know for our family, that has created when we're kind of on this uh, line of anxiety, um, you share in the book about education and um, the challenges mm-hmm. of being a, a TCK and education. Can you share um, yeah, some wisdom and insight when it comes to education and the challenges that comes with being a TCK? Yeah. One of the most popular workshops I run is, is just about this stuff. It's about how cross-cultural education affects families Hmm. because we often don't think about the fact that education is not just information, it's culture and values. Hmm. We're teaching children how to live in society. And for many TCKs, they're doing education in a different cultural setting. Hmm. Uh, Some of those who are homeschooling are using their own home countries, passport countries curriculum, but not all. Yeah, And those going to international schools, some are going and using curriculum from their passport countries, some aren't. Any TCK local school is in a different cultural paradigm, even if they're speaking their own language. So for me as an Australian child going to an American local school, that was a cross-cultural educational experience that was I'm quite sure. difficult for me. Mm-hmm. So even though it was the same language, it's very different as well. Yeah. Uh, so being aware that that is going to, one, at first be difficult for the child, but long-term be difficult for the parent Hmm. uh, is important Hmm. because at first the child's the one adapting, but over time the child adapts and they learn how to work in this different cultural paradigm and this different way of doing things. And that becomes part of who they are, which means they are not entirely of their parents' part culture. Yeah. They're going to be different to their parents. And for some parents, there is a real grief associated with that. Hmm. Um, that they have different values to their parents or they have different opinions to their parents. They see the world differently. Maybe they have different comfort language, different comfort food, different, you know, favourite movies or music. They don't care about the same childhood things their parents do. That can be a real grief um, that's actually worth working through um, because we don't really think about that when we start out on these journeys, that it's going to create this gap in experience between us and our kids. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the big pieces is just that the experience of being in a different cultural setting through education changes us. Yeah. Uh, but the other part is that related to what we were just saying, so many TCKs internalize this pressure to excel. Hmm. Uh, and I have talked to so many TCKs, so many of the kids I interviewed when they would talk about how they're not allowed to fail and they had to be the best at everything. They had to get straight A's and I would ask them, who told you that? Hmm. They'd sit there and they'd think about it and go, you know what? I actually can't remember anyone saying that. They couldn't remember a parent saying that. They couldn't remember a teacher saying that. They couldn't remember a friend or any other adult in their life saying that. It was this internalised pressure created by the environment Hmm. that they believed, I am not allowed to fail. I am not allowed to get a B. (laughs) I have to excel at everything. Uh, Part of that is that expat communities tend to be quite high-achieving. Mm-hmm. Um, the highest rates I could find of high school graduates going into university or, or college was in the U S uh, partly because the other Western economies had 
TAFE systems, um, right. technical colleges. Right. So 60% of US high school graduates will attempt start tertiary education. 95% of TCKs will start university wow. or college. Wow. That is a big difference. Yes, it is. So their world, that is normal. Yeah. College education is is the standard and anything less than that is failure. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, and when you look at the parents in an expat community, most of them have got degrees, if not advanced degrees. Like they think that's normal. They don't realize that just by being at that level, they're already doing really well. Yeah. So, wow. yeah. That's, that's a perspective I never thought of. And, um, and it makes total sense, but it was nothing. It was not something that I had uh, carried out to the logical end. And um, mm. like you said, you're, you, those you see, um, you expect that that is, that's common for everybody. Um, and at the yeah. same time, it, it, it's a, a wide. We're speaking to a young adults group and giving them these statistics Yeah. and the leaders of the group, their jaws are dropping. They were, they, you know, were, oh yeah. They're about 30 something TCKs, and they were like, That can't be right. Yeah. That can't be the numbers for our country. There must be more people in our country with degrees than that. Like, no, it's less than a third of adults in your country have degrees. Wow. And they couldn't believe it because that's not what they had grown up with and lived. But that's the reality. 25 to 35% of adults in Western countries have a degree, have, have a university degree. Wow. Would have never, would have never guessed that for sure. So, and then the other, you talked about your, your parents, um, the kids and the parents, their paradigm. So what you're saying is that my kids won't have a, a map of West Virginia, like I do hanging up in their office, probably. So <laughs> <laughs> their, their, their love of the state of West Virginia will not be the same because they've not grown up in the state of West Virginia. But um, anyway, it's. Uh, but they might be, have, they might have that map of Nairobi. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Or, that's right. Yeah. They'll, have, they'll have something, some, something else hanging up there for sure for sure Mm -hmm. the other thing along that line you talked about with education and it kind of follows that same theme is that sometimes our our tck's don't adopt the same faith um as their parents or they don't Mm -hmm. have the same belief system as their parents can that was you know honestly as as i was going through the book that was probably where i spent um the majority of my mental space was thinking about that because i've seen that happen and, you know, obviously yeah. for, it's a large part of my wife and I, our, our life and for our kids. And when there's a dissonance there, you know, you just don't know how to have conversations. You don't know how to re- react or respond. Could you just share um, mm-hmm. more about that? Absolutely. It's actually something that's been very much on my mind in the last couple of months. I've been working with someone to pretend, we're trying to put together a workshop for basically looking at this. How do we support third culture kids who are wrestling with faith, issues of faith Mm. and um, what that looks like. So this is something I've done a lot of thinking about recently. And one of the things I've I've seen come up a lot, I've also, I'm also conducting current research with adult TCK. So I I have more, more stories now than I did when I wrote the first book. Um, One thing that comes up a lot is that with a exposure to more than one culture, and more than one way of doing church, as children, before they've established a worldview, TCKs are more likely to analyse what is Christ and what is culture. Hmm. So they'll look at how their passport country does church, how their host country does church, and go, well, these aren't the same. 
and they won't immediately go, my passport country's way of doing it is right. They'll look wow. at both of them. Wow. And, and it will often lead to clashes with established views from their family, from their passport culture. Because when you grow up with both, neither one feels more comfortable than the other. They're equal hmm. in comfort. So, and potentially the host culture may feel more comfortable because they've spent yeah. more time in it. So when they look at both, they're not elevating one over the other a lot of the time. So they'll look at scripture and go, well, which of these is, looks more like the Bible to me. And sometimes their conclusions are different to their parents. Hmm. And that's complicated because they're coming to it with children's eyes. Yeah. Um, So they may not have all the theology behind why their parents believe what they believe. So my first thing to say is don't be afraid to talk through complicated and deeper things with your kids like explain why you believe what you believe and how you got to that point because we're all on a journey and it takes us a while to get to where we are the other big piece is that questioning our accepted cultural beliefs is a normal stage of adolescence everybody in every culture does this um, regardless of whether people are faith or not it's part of how we learn how to assess whether people are trustworthy. It's how we develop critical thinking skills. It's really important. It normally happens in our early to mid-teens. Hmm. For various reasons, most TCKs don't do this until late teens or young adult years. Fascinating. And by that point, they don't have a nice, strong community around them, which is dangerous hmm. because when you're in that stage of questioning, you're quite vulnerable and you have a very deep need for community and connection. Wow. Hmm. So often when we see kids questioning their faith, we see it as rejection of that faith when generally what's really going on is I'm feeling vulnerable and I need love and connection. These questions aren't me rejecting. These questions are me trying to work out how the world works. Hmm. So if in that initial stage of trying to understand things, I feel rejected, I'll I'll draw back because I feel very vulnerable. Hmm. And if another community that embraces me, I'll go to them with my questions instead. So it's so important that we provide loving connection and a accepting community for for TCKs or they will find it elsewhere. Wow. Wow. And so what have you seen? What are some things that parents and not just, you know, aunties and uncles and because, you know, in the TCA CCK community, it's a lot larger than just your uh, mm. genealogical or your, you know, your blood family. You have these other families. How can aunties and uncles and parents, how can they engage in conversations without, as you shared about cutting it off and pulling it back? Mm. Um, because a lot of, you know, I'd say a certain segment of the population that are here, they feel very strongly about their faith. Um, and that's why yeah. they're, they're serving in a place. And so it's a little, Absolutely. it can be a struggle for them too. What wisdom would you have for them, how they can engage and listen rather than, um, you know, and, and maybe unintentionally, but push, push TCKs away. I mean, I'm not coming to this as a parent. I'm coming to this as a youth pastor. Yeah. Uh, I spent most of my life working in youth ministries and working with teenagers through this period of time. Um, basically since I was a teenager myself, (laughs) Um, I started running my first small group when I was 16, I think (laughs) of younger girls. Um, so, you know, this is something I, I feel very strongly about. And what I think is the biggest thing we can do is to remember to separate our journeys. Hmm. Um, their journey, their story isn't mine. Um, 
we each have to find our own way to faith in Christ. Uh, I can't, it's a privilege to walk alongside someone, but I can't walk that journey for them. They have to do yeah. it themselves. And so I can't tell them all the answers and say, this is, I, you can't just give a shortcut. I, I have to walk with you while you work out your own answers. I remember um, a group one time in Beijing and we were talking through um, like, what are some of the difficult questions that are hard to work our heads around? We talked about modesty and submission and things like that, but, you know, touchy subjects. Um, we unpacked a whole bunch of stuff. And afterwards, one of the girls hang, hung back and she said, you know, most of what you shared is the same stuff my parents believe. Um, but this is the first time I felt like I could actually engage and talk about it because uh-huh. they have the answers and I need to work through the questions. Hmm. That's great there. She's like, I actually agree with them, but I I need to work out, I need to work my own way to the answers, which I thought was very mature perspective for a 14, 15 year old, whatever she was at the time. Yeah. Um, She's now a mother of three with an extremely strong faith. Like that's, you know, but her questions weren't about even disagreeing with her parents. They were about, I need to puzzle this out for myself. She's like, I know they've already done that process. I need to go through this process too with my own faith. And so don't be afraid or threatened by the questions. Lean into the questions. The questions are actually a positive stage of their development. Hmm. If we really believe that our God is true and strong and faithful, those questions will only lead kids toward him. They can't, Hmm. you know, if we are leaning into let's find the truth, that will Hmm. always lead us towards the truth. Hmm. So engaging with questions is helpful because if we don't engage with the questions, they'll talk to somebody else. Yeah, it's true. That's true. So that's, that's the most important thing is engaging with questions. And the other one is when you have a kid who has really leaned away and doesn't agree with you, doesn't share your beliefs, ask them to teach you what they're learning. Hmm. It's a real show of respect to them that I'm actually going to listen to you. And it tells you where they're at, where their heart's at, where their mind's at. Um, but more than that, it's going to make them feel safe that they can tell you that, that you will listen to them. I have had lots of kids along the years that I've kind of adopted as little brothers and little sisters. And I had one come to me at one point who had been a friend of my sisters and and she, she sort of accidentally ended up with lots of Christian friends in in (laughs) high school and we'd gone out and she was, she was in town and, and I was in town and we'd gone out for coffee and, and, you know, as I was dropping her home, she said, you know, I've actually got to the point where I now believe there is a God and I believe that his, that Jesus is his son. I'm still not sold on the, you know, dying on the cross thing, but I think I'm getting there. She's like, but she made me promise not to tell her high school friends, Hmm. the Christians, She's like, I don't want them to take it as um, a victory. Okay. That they converted me, that they won. Wow. wow. Right? Wow. Like we need to share the journey with these kids as they explore and learn. And so asking them to teach us where are you on the journey is a show of respect that I will listen to you. Wow. And and you can keep up that communication yeah. as they journey along. You think it's some of, I mean, I'm asking to draw conclusions and maybe you don't want to do it, but is it, do you think that some of it is parents have a fear of, of allowing their kids to go on that journey? You know, as, is parenting has changed, you know, before it was all about yes. exploration and allowing your kids to go out and explore the world. And now mm-hmm. it's become, 
least in my opinion, has become a lot more protection and we try to keep our kids safe from protection, all that. Do you think there's mm -hmm. some fear that maybe they'll come to a different conclusion than maybe that we have? Yes. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really common to come to different conclusions. <laughs> That's true. It is. No, there I is, agree. there is generational change. Yeah. That doesn't mean that we don't, all believe in the same God. I think one of the, the troubles is when we narrow and narrow and narrow the definition of who is a true believer. Hmm. That's hmm. why TCKs who are seeing Christianity expressed different ways in different countries yeah. can often clash um, with their extended family, often more with their extended family than with their parents because their okay. parents have also seen yeah. um, Christianity expressed For differently. Sure. Uh, because... Christendom is more than this time in history. Yeah. It's more than one country or one region. It's more than one generation. Yeah. Um, so sometimes reading church history can be can be encouraging too. Yeah. Like the church has endured <laughs> so much. Um, I, I do remember at seminary that was the one that surprised me. I, I was not expecting to enjoy church history as much as I did. <laughs> but it, um, it is resilient. That is for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Resilient. Yeah, but I think there is this fear that that they will be rejected if they don't adhere to very specific things because there has become in a lot of. Um, you know, a lot of the, the English-speaking Western world, very polarised views on a lot of things that yeah. if they can't line up with certain things, people will reject them. Yeah. Whether you're on the left or the right, that's become yeah. true. For sure. So I think there's some, some legitimate fears there. But, again, it's it's their journey and, and they're going to have to wrestle with that, with what yeah. they choose to do with those um, genuine minds, yeah. <laughs> the minefield that's out there. Yeah. Uh, but also I think there's... You know, I, I do talk a lot about grief for parents. It, mm. It's there's a lot that that parents have to work through their own feelings about these things because it's that your feelings that's your journey yeah. <laughs> that you as a parent have to work through, and it it can be very easy to see your child as a reflection on you. Um, mm. That in exploring their faith, that they're rebelling against what you've taught them, or that you failed to teach them, yeah. and and that's a really hard place to be, yeah. and sitting with those feelings and working through them is important. Yeah. Um, especially finding someone safe outside of your parent-child relationship to talk that through with <laughs> so that your parent-child relationship isn't full of that is, is very important. Yeah. Um, but I think what has encouraged me a lot as I've walked with families through these kind of things is um, I always go back to the parable of the, the prodigal son and the welcoming father because yeah. that's the image of parenting that God's given us that he parents us that way with this lavish welcome, no matter what, we are always welcome to come home. Hmm. And I think if we can see children that way, that even if they go on a different path, even if they believe something different, that we can be that parent to them that will always celebrate their return, hmm. that will always welcome them in, wow. um, I think that helps a lot. I, I've seen a lot of parents who feel like they can't joyfully celebrate and love their child if they don't believe hmm. because that's going to somehow send a bad message. But I think that love sends a better message to that child's friends Yeah, that, that we should always be the community that loves them best, hmm. even when they don't agree. Yeah. 
That's good. Wow. And that's challenging. I, that's, you know, I, one of the few things I remove, remember from my, I think it was sociology class I took 20 some years ago was the stages of grief, denial, anger, mm-hmm. bargaining, um, depression, and anger. I think it's dabbed up. That's how I could remember it. But anyway, acceptance. And, yeah. and, and acceptance I'm sorry. And um, so you have it in the book. And so is that, so what I'm hearing you say, is that something you encourage parents to acknowledge and then to mm-hmm. consider the acknowledge that there is grief there and then to to walk through that process is would that be correct absolutely i mean i think if you go through my book probably about half of it deals with grief in some way or another yeah. Yeah. because it is huge in in expat life and in tck life we're constantly saying goodbye to someone or to so there's they're saying you know they're leaving or we're leaving um where we go and visit our family and then we leave again we lose countries, we lose places, we lose objects and that builds up over time. But also it's these hidden conflicts where Hmm. we are culturally different to our own family. We we go back to our passport country and realise that we're not the same as we used to be and we don't quite fit and see eye to eye with our own extended family anymore. with our own friends anymore. There's all kinds of griefs there. And so for parents to be really well resourced, to understand grief and to walk through grief, to be, have really good, strong emotional intelligence. That's really important. That's one of the best things you can do for your kids is to learn that and model that, show them how to express feelings in a healthy way. Um, Don't just bottle it all up, but like, let's process this in a good way. This is what it looks like to say, I feel both happy and sad about this. Yeah. Um, my sister is a child educational developmental psychologist. And so she models a lot of this at home. Um, <laughs> we're in lockdown at the moment. So both she and her husband are essential workers. And so their kids are coming to us um, okay. three days a week instead of a year. And my three and a half year old nephew, he will insist on the half. He's three and a half. Uh, he has some incredible emotional intelligence already. Yeah. He'll come and sit on my lap and he'll talk about how he's both happy and sad about COVA. That's what he means by lockdown. He calls it COVID or COVID. Okay. Um, and he'll say he's he's sad because he can't see his friends at daycare, but he's happy because he gets to spend so much time with me. Wow. And then when we don't, when we're not in COBA anymore, yeah. he'll be happy because he sees his friends, but he'll be sad because he won't see me so much anymore. Yeah. Wow. Like that, holding a happy and sad intention is really important. And he's already learned it at three. <laughs> I'm really proud. I'm like I wish I knew how to do that when I was three, or oh, you know, my lands, or to be that, to, yeah, to be that cognizant. And I think that's, right? you know, the thing of growing up in different cultures obviously emotions and how we walk through those emotions are processed differently and verbalized differently. You know, we, we Mm -hmm. lived in Madagascar for, for 14 years and it was pretty much culturally you put on the face and you performed um, and that Malagasy's would agree with this. You didn't necessarily show your true emotions because those were something that were guarded. And then at home, you know, you're trying to, and so as a parent, you're trying to balance, this is the culture we live in where this is appropriate, where this is not appropriate. And as you said, that's the tension between being a TCK and between different worlds, because you're trying to balance what's appropriate here and not appropriate here. And at the same time, be emotionally intelligent. 
I talk to families a lot about using values as your basis for those changes in behavior. Okay. So as a family, we value respect and respect looks different in different places. So in this place, we're going to do this because this is what respect looks like here. And this place we're going to do that because that's what respect looks like here. So it's not about we behave this way, we behave wow. that way. It's we're always respectful. We're always kind. We're yeah. always polite. But what respect and politeness and kindness looks like might be different in each place. Wow, that's good. And it helps kids center in on that core identity is I'm a respectful person. I'm a kind person. I'm a loving person. Yeah. Um, even though the actions and the behaviors may look different, the core is the same everywhere we go. That's not just good, good for TCKs. That's good for parents like me. I mean, that's good for everyone. Yeah. I mean, really it is. It's a, yeah. it's a valuable lesson. And um, I've never articulated, I've never articulated, articulated it the way that you just did. And um, it provides clarity, but something I think we wrestle with a lot of time to be focused on the values, not necessarily the, the actions comfort. Well, I've learned more from you today, more than I learned from the book. And it has been phenomenal to have you on the podcast. Would you pray for us that God would use this podcast to encourage um, TCKs and parents? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And I am so delighted to be able to speak to all these different families serving throughout the world. This is an important thing you do. And parenting your your kids is an amazing ministry as well. So thank you so much. That's great. Father, thank you so much for providing a space where parents can share and think about their kids, about how to shepherd them, how to pastor them, how to encourage and support them as they grow. Father, we pray that you would continue to shape and mould and guide each one of the children that we're thinking of right now, whether they are very small, whether they are grown up and out on their own. You know each one, you know each heart, you know each journey. Lord, we pray that you in your wisdom, in your power and your might would draw them to you through Jesus Christ. We ask that you would give us a portion of your wisdom to be able to speak words of truth, of love and of peace to all of the TCKs in our lives, that we would welcome them as lavishly as you do and that we would share your peace with them, share your love with them. Lord, grant us in your mercy that we might be ministers of peace to our own families, the kids in our lives, whether they're ours or others. Uh, and Lord, we ask that you would keep teaching us and guiding us as we go. And pray a blessing on all of those who are listening and ask that you would bring them peace and joy today in Jesus' name.